Well, it is an exciting time to be a part of Grace. Um, our church here, we exist, really, if we want to dumb it down to the, maybe the most simplest form, is we are just here to do whatever we possibly can to reach as many people as we possibly can for Jesus, right? That's, the, that's it. That's, that's why we're here. Um, yeah, okay. <laughs> why do we do that? Because Jesus told us to. As simple as that. The uh, last few weeks, we've been talking about, we've been going through the book of John. We've been talking about um, all the things that Jesus has been teaching his disciples and all the things he's saying, hey, you need, to, you need to do life like this, you need to do life like that. Not just even his disciples, but the crowds of the people that were constantly following uh, Jesus. And it's more than just like, do this, don't do that um, in, in Jesus' life. It's like he's trying to get them to understand. He's saying, hey, no, 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 no. It's more than that. It's, it's you need to think on a higher level. It's almost like he's saying, you need to take a step back and you need to look at the, you need to look at the big picture here. Right? There's, a lot going, there's a lot going on. You need to realize the things that are really important around us. Those are the things that it seems like those, you know, we tend to, to forget about first. Um, but the last thing that Jesus taught before he went back up to heaven, um, he gathers his disciples around. They're on the, the edge of the Sea of Galilee, so right on the shore. He's, got, he's like cooking up fish for them over a fire, and uh, he gathers them around for the very last time, and he's already died, and he's come back, he's risen from the dead, and, and he's appeared to them a few times at this point, but this is the last time. He gathers everybody together, and this is at the end of John, so I'm kind of jumping ahead real quick, but we'll get there in a few weeks, a couple months, all right? <laughs> Maybe longer, but we'll get there. Um, but Jesus, he gathers everybody around, and he's like, hey, here's the deal. I'm leaving. And I think his disciples, they're not prepared for that. They're just like, wait, what are you talking about? What do you mean you're leaving? Like, you, you know, you, you did it. You did what you're here to do. And now it's like you got to show yourself to everybody so that people will believe. And he's like, Jesus like, no, I'm, I'm leaving. Um, and uh, what I'm actually doing is it's going to be kind of crazy. And I know you don't quite understand how this is all going to work. But you'll understand someday. And it's I'm actually going to live in you. Okay, so, and same thing with us today. Anybody who has given their life over to Jesus, the Bible tells us that he, like, moves inside of us. The Holy Spirit comes um, and, and, like, moves in. And so Jesus is saying, hey, I know you don't get it, but I'm actually going to live in you. And guess what I'm doing? I'm going to do something even better than me being here on the earth and healing people and showing people who I am. I'm going to be sending you. In which case, I think his disciples are like, Huh? That sounds like a really bad idea. You're going you're gonna to rely on us? And he's saying, don't worry. I'm with you until the end. He says, all you got to do is you just got to spread the word. That's all you got to do. And I'm going to work through you, and I'm going to do things that you don't even understand are happening, and I'm going to be working in people, and it's going to be a really good thing, and I am with you. And so for us here today, what we could do is we could translate that to he is sending us, right? He's sending us into our workplace. He's sending us into our schools, into, onto our teams, on, in our family, in our community. And it's almost like you see Jesus as, as we'll, we look at this um, portion. When Jesus is talking to his disciples, it's almost like, like he, there's a sense of urgency here in Jesus' uh, command. It's a sense of urgency here in Jesus' teaching. Almost like he's like, hey, don't waste it. I'm with you. Right? Don't be wasting your time or, or really my time in your life. And we do. Don't we? Don't we? Including myself. I mean, we get off track all the time. We get distracted by the busyness of life. Right? We get comfortable with, uh, with our life or where we're at in life. And really, for me, 
as your pastor, that's my biggest fear for our church here, all right, our new little church here in Tiffin, Ohio, is my biggest fear is that we would get comfortable with where we are at. Um, we got to understand, there is a lot of work to do here in our area. We get that? Maybe we don't think about it much, we don't realize it that much, but there's a lot of work to do where we're at, and there's urgency to that. I mean, here at Grace, one of the cool things that I get to witness, um, probably more than anybody else, just because I'm around it all the time, is, uh, is people giving their life over to Jesus. Just uh, within the last month, we've had over 13 people that have said, hey, for the first time in their life, they're giving their life over to Jesus. That's something to celebrate. Half of those were middle school and high school kids, all right, which is awesome. You know, um, how many churches could say that? And uh, here's the deal. If we want more of that, we have to make space. We do. We're out of space, all right? Here, we're out of space in our children's area. And so because of that, in about a, in a month and a half, um, on March 19th, we're actually going to transition to three services, um, something that we have to do to make space. I know everybody's like, oh, man. Yeah, I know you got your comfortable little time. <laughs> I got my comfortable speaking only twice. <laughs> Not looking forward to three. But, uh, but it's something that we have to do. And we're going to do that until we build a new auditorium, all right, unless we shrink, which we better not because we are out there and we're getting after them, right? Okay. All right. We got one guy in a whooper. Okay. Woo. Yeah, there we go. All right, I like that. But, uh, but, but yeah, we, we, we need to do this. We need to make space. And so I'm personally, the selfishness, selfish side of me is not looking forward to it, but it's good for us to do it. We need to get out of our, our comfort zone. And again, we're going to do this until we build a new auditorium, which will be a few years from now. Because before we build a new auditorium, we'll be working on building our children's space, which we've talked about uh, here before. Um, our children's space, just, I know some of you guys are new and you've been coming just, you know, maybe for a, a few months or so. But uh, what we're planning on doing is we're building two buildings uh, within, hopefully, maybe breaking ground within the next year or so. And um, we are going to have out front, we're going to have a brand new, um, it'll be a building that has new classrooms and actual like real size classrooms for our children's area, which we don't have right now. Right now we have little offices um, that we converted into classrooms. And so uh, we'll have that. And then um, over here, really right on the other side of this wall, we're going to be building a large indoor um, a large space for children that'll have an indoor playground. It's something that we can use throughout the week, uh, something that our community can use throughout the week. We'll open it. It'll be free, um, basically just to serve the, the parents and the grandparents in our community and to reach kids. Um, we've said this before here at Grace. We are really concerned about reaching the next generation. Uh, we are busting out of the seams with kids, which is awesome. And I don't know how many churches can say that, if you know what I'm talking about. Um, but we are busting out of the seams, which is so great. We have to invest in the next generation. And churches, and I've said this so many times, churches that don't invest in the next generation die. Yeah, they die. And it's a slow, agonizing death. It takes a long time. It might take decades for them to die, but eventually they die. And there's examples of churches around, all around us that are, that are perfect examples of that, unfortunately. And so what we've done over the last uh, few months is we've actually taken a step back from our children's 
buildings or, or those projects, and uh, we were kind of get good to go. But then we, for me, I'll be honest with you, like this is my first rodeo. Um, we built a big student center in Fremont, but that, I don't know, that just seemed a lot easier than a master plan here in Tiffin. Um, Fremont, we had a bunch of space, so it's like you mess up, you just build something else. You know, later you got, you got grass. Here we don't got grass, okay? And so um, for us, it's, uh, it's very important that we, we build the right things and we build the right things in the right order. And so uh, we took a step back about three months ago. And we hired an architect out of Oklahoma, so nat- actually a, national, a nationally known architect that is, specializes in churches, and they specializes, specialize in like weird church buildings like what we have. You know what I'm talking about? And so they could come in to, you know, to a weird church building like this and go, okay, this is what we would do. This is how I would, put, I would put this here, that, there. And that's what they've been working on for over the last three months. They've been here. They flew here. They've walked the property. They've been through our building. And uh, they're working on putting together not just a plan for our children's area, but a master plan for our entire site uh, that we have. And so just to give you guys that information, that's what we're working on right now. Hopefully in about a month or two, we'll have um, actual uh, plans that we'll be looking at saying, okay, this is what we're going to do, and uh, we'll, I'll show you guys that and kind of present that to you guys just so everybody's on the same page. After we do all that, then we will build an auditorium, which will be out this way uh, somewhere towards, towards the factory. Now, here's a couple things I just want to say. If you consider Grace your church home, which isn't everybody in here, right? There's a handful of you that you're new and you're not 100%, you know, you're like, I don't know if this is the place for me or whatever. That's totally cool. We want you here. Uh, Maybe this is your first time this morning. We want you here. We want you to bring all your, you know, there's a lot of hurt and there's a lot of pain out there and there's a lot of questions. Bring them all. We'll take it, okay? Um, We want you here. But for the rest of us that call Grace Our Church Home, there's a couple things I just want to remind you guys about. You need to be invested in here at Grace, and you need to be involved here at Grace. Meaning, you need to be invested, number one, financially. The Bible has a lot to say about money, and money shows us really where our heart is in our life. And so we, that's why last year we started our um, Everyone on Three campaign, and our key was that everyone, whether it's a lot or a little, that's between you and God, but everyone should be at least somewhat invested with what we're doing here, especially when it comes to making space for kids in our area. And so we want to encourage you, if you haven't done that yet, or if you haven't like jumped on the bandwagon with the rest of us, we're just a bunch of people <laughs> coming together, trying to make this thing happen. And so uh, we, you know, I'm just telling you, you should, be, you should be involved, or you should be invested in that way. Um, you should also be involved. And so that means you should be serving somewhere. If you consider Grace your church home. If not, you, know, you should do that wherever you consider you know, your church home, or if you're not 100% sure, then sure, hold out, you know, figure that out. But if you call Grace your church home, you should be involved with what's going on here. Specifically, we are going to need help with children's when it comes to adding on this third service. We already kind of struggle a little bit there, although we make it all work, and some of you guys, a lot of you guys are parents, and so you've seen uh, the kind of craziness that happens back there, but it's all good. Um, we'll take that any day of the week, but, um, but we need help when it comes to Working with our kids, again, investing in the next generation. And um, I just want to, you know, I just want to encourage you, if you maybe were serving in kids or really anywhere, and maybe you've kind of jumped out for a little while, or maybe COVID happened, and, you know, you're just like, ah, you haven't really jumped in there, jumped back in yet. I want to encourage you, it's time, all right? Really, think about it this way. Okay, this is the way God views things, and, you know, 
he was constantly telling his disciples, think on a bigger picture. Think of it this way. God has given you a certain amount of gifts and talents. That's what the Bible tells us, okay? And a lot of you guys are gifted more than, you know, the rest of us when it comes to working with kids and, and babies and stuff like that. I'm not gifted. I don't know what to do with a baby. Even my own, when I had babies, I was like, what do I <laughs> take it, Kate? You know, <laughs> it spit up again, you know? Oh, it's that type of thing. Um, we, uh, you know, some of you guys are just gifted towards that. And, and I'm just here to let you know what you're actually doing when you're not hoping the family with that is you're actually robbing, and in this case, specifically our kids, of you. Right? You're robbing our kids of you. And so we need you. All right? We're a bunch of different parts. We're, we're, we are um, gifted in all these different areas. We all need to come together, and we need to do this thing, and we need to reach as many people as we possibly can. So um, if that's you specifically, and I'm doing a big shout-out to our kids, we got people who have been working in kids almost every day since we open, every week since we open. all right? I applaud them, and I feel bad for them <laughs> all at the same time. Um, but we need, we need help. And so if that's something that you want to jump into or you're like, hey, I am good with kids, okay, and not like even a pride thing, just like an honest thing, then uh, feel free after the service, go to the uh, kids' check-in desk, and they'll give you an application to fill out. And don't just take the application and take it home, because we'll never get that back. You fill it out right there, okay? Before you leave this building, you fill it out, and you hand it to Tori or whoever's over there. And uh, it's, it's a long process, because we, we don't let just anybody work with our kids. We do background checks, and we just do all this stuff. And so it takes a while. But at least we'll get that part, and we'll get this thing rolling, okay? So we need your help. And, uh, and that's, the Bible calls us to serve, and this is a perfect way to serve and help reach as many people as we possibly can for Jesus, specifically our next generation. What we see and what we're supposed to be about here at Grace is always reaching out, okay? We see this in Jesus' life all the time. I mean, this is what Jesus was concerned with, and I think there's no better example of how Jesus is so concerned with the lost than what we're going to look at today. Now, throughout Jesus' ministry, we've been talking about how Jesus, he's constantly traveling up, down, up, down, up, down. He's up in the north in Galilee. That's his, like, home region. The, there's a big lake up there. And then he'll travel down to Jerusalem, which is this area called Judea. And he's constantly going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And John is one of Jesus' um, main guys. He's one of Jesus' like best friends, maybe his very best friend as he's here. And John, throughout those three years, I mean, he's traveling with Jesus. He gets to see the things that Jesus is doing, and he gets to hear the things that Jesus says. And so John, in John chapter 9, which is what we're going to look at today, John simply says, check this out, this is what happened. He says, as he, Jesus, was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. Now, blindness was something that, um, that occurred a lot more back in, in this time. Um, it's not, it was a common issue. Today, it's not as common. We got modern medicine and stuff like that that really helps us out. Um, I did, back then, probably everybody knew of at least somebody who was blind. Uh, today, I like... You know, I don't personally know necessarily anybody who's blind. There was actually one guy in college once as I was walking down. I will never forget this. But I was walking down this really long hall. I was late to class, which is so typical. And uh, this hallway was skinny. And there's this guy. He had that cane thing. You know what I'm talking about? Like hitting people and, you know, hit you on the leg. <laughs> but he's, like, walking down the hall. And he's doing his cane thing. He's walking slow. And I, 
you know, I understand why he's walking slow. He can't see. Like, I get that. But I'm late for class, and I got to go, and, I'm, and it's this really, like, my class is way down at the end of the hallway, and I remember I'm, like, stuck behind him. I'm like, oh, you got to be, I'm behind the blind guy. Like, what are the odds? Like, my teacher's not going to believe this. You know, my professor, he's not going to believe this. And so I was, like, timing it out to, like, the swings of his cane, and I'm like, I got to pass him up. You know what I mean? And so I remember I was, I was like, okay, I'll wait for the pendulum to swing this way, and, I, and he'll not even know because he's blind, you know. And I remember jumping past him, and I look back, and I, and I, I am convinced we made eye contact after that. <laughs> so I don't trust that guy. He was like, we like made eye contact, then he's like, and I'm like, dude, that's, I don't know. So I, that's bothered me ever since then. Um, this guy's actually blind, though, okay? And this guy, what John tells us is this guy's been blind his entire life. He's been blind from birth. I mean, can you imagine that? That'd be rough. That'd be super, super hard. This is, this is, a, this is a hard life. And Jesus notices this guy. And his disciples, they notice this guy, including John. And John tells us, that his disciples, they asked Jesus really a theologically inaccurate question. Um, and they probably whispered it to him, I'm assuming, because there he is. There's a, like, I'm, you know, they're not like shouting it out because we don't do that. Uh, you know, we, we kind of wish, hey, Rabbi, Jesus, I got a question. I've been, I've been wondering this for a while, but you see that guy over there? Oh, yeah, okay. Um, who sinned? Meaning, whose fault is it that this man, or was it his parents' fault that he was born blind? Now, how many of us have ever asked, let's say, a version of that question or a form of that question? When we got something really bad that happens in our life, or maybe it's not even our life. Maybe it's like in this scenario, it's somebody else's life where we're looking at somebody. We're like, okay, that's like, that's like a really sad thing that's happening, or that's, that's, that's a really bad thing that has happened to them. Um, you know, have you ever asked, like, like, why? Like, whose fault is it? God, is God mad at that person? Why would God allow this to happen in their life? You ever, you ever ask something that, like that? Have you ever asked even in your own life where it's like something bad happens in your own life and you're just like, why is God punishing me? You ever do that? God, what's going on here? Why are you punishing me? What did I do? Did I do something to offend you? What's going on here? And so they're asking that question, a question, a form of a question that I think we've all asked. And Jesus, he looks at them. And he says, with one word, he kind of blows it all up. He's just like, it's neither. Not them, not them. He's like, it's wrong, wrong. See, his disciples, they have this assumption that there's like a cause and effect between behavior and bad things. And so they're thinking, like many of us, we all, I think we naturally all kind of think this way. They're like, okay, well, if you have bad behavior then um, bad things are going to happen to you, like karma, like God's going to get you back, all right, he's there, he's going to make you, he's going to make you pay, and so logically, you can flip that, you can say, okay, well, then when bad things happen to you, you can flip it the other way and say, oh, you must have done something really bad, all right, it must be because of your bad behavior, and so Jesus, with one word, he kind of blows up their entire thinking, and, uh, and he says, neither, and Jesus, he does this a lot, he spends his time teaching his disciples, um, when he's doing that, he's like, he has to tear down their view of the way they viewed the world, and he had to reconstruct it the way that he created the world to be viewed. And so that's what he does here. Now, let's, let's take a moment real quick. We know 
that sometimes our sin does cause consequences in our life, right? We get that? Okay, you explain that to your kids sometimes, like, hey, you did this, now this is going to happen to you, it's not cool, you know, that type of thing. And, and many times, if we're honest with ourselves, many times other people's sin causes bad things to happen in our life too, right? Okay, right? But that's not all the time. In fact, if we think about it, that's not even most of the time. See, Jesus... What he's going to show us is that our pain, and what he shows us so often throughout his, throughout his time here, is he shows us that our pain has purpose. And so Jesus, he looks at his disciples and he says, it's neither. It wasn't this man or his parents. It wasn't that either of them sinned. He says, this came about so that. He's like, I have a reason. You just don't know your reason. Don't think you can assume my reasoning. He says, this came about so that God's work might be displayed in him. He's saying this came about, all right, because there is a purpose for it. Actually, it's almost like Jesus is saying that he is blind for me. He is blind for this moment. Now, did the blind man know that? No. Just like when we're going through hard times in our life, we don't necessarily know what God is doing, all right? Did he know why he was born blind? No. Remember, God doesn't owe us an answer. God does not ever owe us an explanation for our problems in our life. He doesn't have to explain himself to us. Some of us, we just got to understand that. Some of us, we're so mad at God, and we've, been, we've built this thing up. You know, whatever has happened in our life, we're so angry at him, and we forget God doesn't owe you anything. He doesn't owe you an explanation. You just got to understand, you got to have faith that his way is good. Actually, his way is so much better than how we would pick. And he's got a plan. And there's purpose to why he does or why he allows things to happen in our life, why he does what he does. And so I'm sure this guy has spent a lot of time in his life asking the question, why? Why? Why would God allow this to happen to me? Why do I have to live like that? It's the exact same question that the disciples ask. It's the exact same question that we ask. And then John tells us, that after he had said these things, this is kind of crazy, he spits on the ground, so, you know, he made some mud from the saliva, and then he spread the mud on his eyes. Now, think through this scenario. All right, a lot of us have been Christians for a long time, we're like, oh yeah, he's going to heal the blind guy, praise God, you know, whatever. Think of this from... A realistic standpoint, okay? Not just, oh, that's a Bible story standpoint, okay? I mean, think of this. This is weird, all right? This was weird. This would be weird today. <laughs> this would be weird back then. This is a very odd thing for Jesus to you. I mean, picture this scene. Jesus, he spits in the dirt. He kneels down. He starts playing with his spit in the dirt. He picks it up. He walks up to the blind guy, and then he slaps it on the blind guy's face. You think that's weird? Okay, it's weird. Thank you. All right, some of you guys, you seem like, you're like, oh, yeah, that's what he does. It's, it's, it's weird that he did this. And everybody, I mean, picture everybody around. Like, picture the crowd, right? Jesus always had crowds following him. They're all just like, I bet it is silent. Like, they're all just like, did Jesus just do that? That's messed up. You know, to a blind guy, it's not like he could see it coming. You know what I mean? <laughs> right? I mean, I'm serious. I'm not trying to pick on blind people. I'm just saying, realistically, you know. 
Think about how it would be from his, uh, from his disciples' point of view. They're probably watching this, and they're like, Jesus does some strange stuff, and he says some strange things, but this is another level. You know, and they're probably poking each other like, did Jesus just throw a mud ball at that guy's face? See, you know he's blind? We just talked about it. Yeah, he knew, you know? And think about it from the blind guy's perspective. The blind guy, he is sitting there doing his thing, begging, wait, you know, and he probably overhears the disciples talking about him and Jesus talking about him. And he, this is probably something that he's heard before. You know, oh, who sinned? Was it that guy? That guy must be a sinner. Or maybe his parents were sin and, you know, or was a sinner. And, and he's sitting there and stuff that he's heard before and he's probably, you know, he's probably like, oh, not again, you know. And then, bam, somebody walks up to him. He throws mud in his face. Like spit mud, okay, not just normal mud, spit mud in his face. And if you think about it, like Jesus, what could he have done? Jesus could have just said, be healed. You ever wonder why he didn't do that? He did that to the last guy he healed, the guy about a year before where he was um, the, the guy who couldn't walk. It was in Jerusalem. Remember AJ was talking about that where he just says, hey, stand up, be healed. Pick up your mat and walk. He didn't do that. He doesn't say, pick up your mat and see. <laughs> why doesn't he do that? And I'll be honest, I have no idea, <laughs> Okay. I don't know why Jesus doesn't do this. I mean, I mean, for some reason, he chooses this way, but his ways are so much better than my, than my ways, and I totally understand that. And then Jesus, after he throws the mud in the guy's face, spreads it in the guy's face, he says, he talks to him, he says, hey, I want you to do something for me. Go and uh, wash in the pool of Siloam. And so the guy left, and he washed. And John says he came back seeing. Now, in my opinion, I don't know this for sure. I don't think this guy necessarily obeys Jesus because he has all this faith built up like, oh, yes, this is it. You know, think about it. He probably goes, maybe the main reason is because he's got like spit mud on his face. He's going to go wash. That's like the natural thing you would do. And so he's like, well, yeah, now I'm going to go wash. Thanks a lot, man. You know, it, it, he probably doesn't, I'm guessing he doesn't know he's going to be healed. I'm guessing he doesn't know that Jesus may have been the guy who, who did that. I mean, he's been blind all of his life. Jesus has not told him he's going to be healed. Jesus just says, go do this. And nonetheless, Jesus tells him to do something. And whether this guy does it for the right reasons or not, the guy does it and he obeys. And then all of a sudden, for the first time in his life, he can see stuff. And he can see light. And he can see colors. Things that he had only heard about before. And the people, they can't believe it. In fact, the people, they don't even recognize him. It says, John says that his neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar, because that's what he was, anytime you couldn't work for a living, um, it's not like you had the government, like, it's not like Rome cared. Like, they would come and they would, um, you know, feed you for six months or whatever. No, they had to go, they had to become a beggar, okay? So if you couldn't work for something, you had to become a beggar. That's what this guy did is how he survived. And so uh, his neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar, they said, isn't this the one who used to sit begging? Isn't this the guy who used to sit over there in that corner? It looks like him. He's not over there right now. And some of them are like, yeah, that's the guy. And others were saying, no, that can't be the guy. This guy can see. That guy was totally blind. I threw mud at him once. I don't know. He says, no, but he looks like him. Can't be him. And so this guy, he kept saying, he's like, no, I'm the one. It's actually me. 
Okay, I'm the same guy. And so they asked him, they're like, okay, well then uh, we have to ask, how were your eyes open? How were you able to see? How, are, how did you get your sight back? And the man, and the guy answered, he's like, okay, well, it's kind of crazy. This guy that they call Jesus, you heard of him? And they're like, oh yeah, we've heard of Jesus. And the, he's like, he actually made mud. And he doesn't tell them that, um, that Jesus, you know, spit in the ground or anything. Maybe no one told him. Uh, probably better not to know for him. He says, the man named Jesus, he made this like mud stuff and he spread it on my eyes and then he told me to go wash. And so when I went and washed, I received my sight. It was crazy. Like that's, that's, that's all I know. And they're like, well, where is he? And he's like, I don't know. I didn't see him. I was blind. And, you know, he says, they brought, you guys keep laughing at the blind stuff. That's kind of messed up. <laughs> all right. He says, uh, they brought the man who used to be blind to the Pharisees. Now, we've talked about the Pharisees before, right? The Pharisees, they're the religious leaders. These guys are like ultimate religious people, all about religion. And uh, so they bring him to those guys. It says, the day, John tells us this, like FYI, the day that Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes was a Sabbath. It was a Saturday. In which case, if you've been following along over the last few weeks, we're going, uh-oh. That's going to cause an issue. In fact, the people in the first century who are reading this, like John's original audience, I mean, they're going, you know, they're like, okay, this is going to be a big issue for them. Every time he does something on the Sabbath, he tends to get in trouble. And so we talked about this even last week. The religious leaders, what they did is they followed the Old Testament law that God had given the Jewish people. And one of the laws is in the Ten Commandments is you got to remember the Sabbath, meaning you should have one day a week where you don't do any work. And so the religious leaders, they're like, okay, well, that's for the Jewish people. That's Saturday. And they're going, all right, so what should we do? What, what's considered work? And so they're trying to figure all this out. And throughout the years, they made a bunch of rules about what work could be. Um, one of them was cooking. Okay, you weren't allowed to cook on the Sabbath because that could be considered work maybe by God. You weren't allowed to carry stuff around because that could be considered work by God. Um, you weren't even allowed to, like, light a candle because they were worried that maybe that would be considered work by God. Um, they weren't allowed to walk too far because if you walk too far, they had to count their steps on the Sabbath because if you walk too far, maybe God would consider that work and then you would be breaking God's law, breaking the Sabbath. Even medically, which is what Jesus does here, you weren't allowed to help people medically unless their life absolutely depended on it. If that's not the case, they had to wait. And so John is giving a heads up. He's saying, by the way, it was a Saturday and the first century readers are like, oh, that's going to cause an issue. The religious leaders aren't going to like that. When is Jesus going to learn? And so uh, he says this. Then the Pharisees, they asked him again. They're like, how, can he, how did you receive your sight? And so this guy's like, I don't know. This is what happened. Right? Believe me or not. But he put mud on my ass. And then I washed. And now I can see. And so some of the Pharisees, they said, hey, this man is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. And what we see here, he didn't actually break God's Sabbath law, okay? What he did was he broke their version of God's Sabbath law that they had made up. And so they're like, he doesn't keep the Sabbath, so how can he be from God? But others in this religious, you know, leader group, they're saying, well, then how can a simple man perform such signs? Even some, some of these guys, they understand that these aren't just like average miracles going on here. These are signs like he is, God is pointing to something here. And there is a great division among them. And they, so again, they asked the blind man, right, well, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And this blind man is like, man, dude, I don't know, like... I don't know really anything about this Jesus guy. He must be a prophet. 
Okay, he must be sent by God. He must be a good man. Um, you know, that's, that, that's where this guy kind of falls on. He's like, this guy, he must be a prophet. He's beginning to connect the dots. And what we can see here, and what I love about this story, is that we can start seeing this man's faith grow. Okay, first he obeyed. Maybe he didn't obey for the exact right reason, sure. But now he's faced with the question. And maybe this is why Jesus doesn't, like, reveal himself to him just yet. All right, again. And so he's like, he's faced with this question, and these religious leaders are kind of hammering him on it. He's like, man, I don't know. Like, he must be, you know, he's thinking through, thinking through, and he's like, I guess he's, he must be a prophet. Like, he has to at least be from God. Now, this guy believed that Jesus was God? Probably not. He doesn't know what to believe. And neither do the Jewish people. And everybody's trying to figure this out. In fact, some of the religious leaders, they weren't convinced, obviously, that Jesus was God. Some others, they weren't even, like, they questioned whether he was even a good guy or not. And so some of them are just like, man, I don't know. I don't even buy this whole story. I don't think this guy was actually blind. I think this guy's making the whole thing up. And so they call in this guy's parents. And they ask them. They're like, hey, is this your son? <laughs> the one who you say was born blind? How is it that he is able to see what happened here? And they answered, they're like, man, we only know, like, a couple things here. Number one, we know that this is our son, okay, and uh, that he was born blind, okay? We know that. He says, but we don't know how he sees, and we don't know how, who opened his eyes. And so why don't you just ask him? He is of age. He's old enough. He will speak for himself. And John tells us that his parents said these things because they were afraid of the Jews, because the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him as the Messiah, Jesus, that he would be banned, meaning canceled, kicked out from the synagogue. And so his parents are afraid. They don't want to be kicked out of the, you know, kind of a, how we kind of view a church. Uh, they don't really understand what happened anyway. And so John tells us that a second time they summoned the man who had been blind. And they told him, they say, hey, here's the deal. Here's the deal, buddy. Give glory to God. Because we know that this man is a sinner. Like, this guy is bad news. We don't know, like, we don't know what's going on with him. We don't know where he's from. Um, these guys, they've already made up their minds on who Jesus was based on the fact that Jesus didn't follow their version of religion. Therefore, Jesus is bad. And this guy's like, man, I don't know. He's like, he's like, whether or not he's a sinner, like, I, I, just, I just don't know. But one thing I do know, and this is what he keeps saying to him. He's saying, one thing I do know is, I was blind. Now I see. I was blind, but now I see. That's all I know. Something happened because I was blind, and now I see. And then they asked him again. Again, this is like the fourth time. They're like, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he's like, I already told you. Right? This guy's getting kind of fed up, which I totally understand. He says, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Then he kind of jabs him. He says, you don't want to become his disciples too, do you? And so right here, this guy, it's like his faith is growing. Not only is he getting more bold when he's talking to these guys, but he's also saying, now he's like, he's implying that he's a disciple of Jesus. He's like, you know what? I, I'm, my mind's made up. I'm, I'm following this guy. All right? He made my decision. I'm following Jesus. He's saying, I'm one of his disciples. You want to be one too? That's awesome. Knowing that that's not the case. And they ridiculed him. They're like, you're that man's disciple? Okay, you go ahead and follow that guy. But we're Moses' disciples. He says, we know that God has spoken to Moses. But this man, man, we don't even know where this guy's from. And so this man is like, this is an amazing thing. 
Right, again, this guy's getting a little testy. He's like, this is an amazing thing, the man told him. You don't know where he's from, yet I was blind and now I see. Right? I was blind and now I see. He opened my eyes. He says, we know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, God obviously listens to him. He says, throughout history, no one has ever heard of someone's, someone opening the eyes of a person born blind. And if this man were not from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. And then they yell at, yell at him, basically. They're like, man, you were born entirely in sin, they replied. And are you trying to teach us? And then they threw him out. And then John tells us that Jesus heard that they had thrown the man out. And then when he had found him, he asked, real quick, notice what Jesus does here. Jesus goes and finds the guy. Did he have to do that? No. Didn't he already fix the guy's problems? Well, a little problem. Not the guy's main problem, right, that we often overlook. Right? Just like the guy who was healed who couldn't walk, Jesus goes and he looks for him and he finds the guy. Why? Because he cares. And he goes to the guy and he says, hey, do you believe in the Son of Man? Right? Do you believe in the Messiah is basically what he's saying. He's like, yeah, sure. I've heard about this all my life, that there's somebody coming. The Old Testament taught us about that. And he's like, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus answers, he's like, you have seen him. All right? Which is so interesting that he uses that phrase. He's like, you're looking at him. It's me. He says, in fact, he's the one speaking with you. And he says, I believe, Lord. And he said, and he worshiped him. See, what we see in this story, here's a guy with a problem. And for us, we look at this guy, we're like, okay, yeah, blindness is, is a big issue, right? Like, that, like, man, we feel bad for him. And yeah, that would be the right thing for Jesus to go heal him. But that wasn't the guy's main problem. All right, that's not the guy's big issue here. What Jesus does, what we see, is he cares in reality. And this is something we don't like to think about because it makes us completely uncomfortable. But here is a guy who is on his way to spend eternity in hell. And Jesus just doesn't help him with his physical issue and move on. Jesus goes after him. Just like we are to go after the people in our lives who haven't surrendered their life to Jesus yet. See, this is why the church exists. Right? Our church exists not just to help people temporarily, not just to give people a sense of belonging and community and the opportunity to worship God, which are all good things. Okay, I'm not saying those are bad things. I'm just saying the church is so much more than that. We are here to go after people. It's our mission. It's our job. In fact, this is what Jesus says at the end of his ministry, what I was talking about earlier. It says, Jesus said to them again, all the way at the end, in John chapter 20, he says, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. He's talking to us. He's talking to his followers. See, I think a lot of us, we lose sight of what God wants for our life. And it's for a variety of reasons, but we just want to break it down to the main categories. It's busyness and it's selfishness that get in the way. And instead of going after people and helping people and really pushing people and begging people to surrender their life to Jesus because eternity is a long time, we're actually a lot more like the religious leaders in this story, I think, which is an issue. 
where we 100% believe in God, and we're, you know, for a lot of us, we've been Christians for a long time, we're like, yeah, I'm with God, I believe in God, I'm all about God, you know, um, like, I'm friends with God, I talk to God, I pray to God, same thing with these religious people, but we care more about our comfortable religious system that we've made up in our minds rather than God's actual purpose for our life. That is an issue, and so for a lot of us, we do the stuff that we're supposed to do, like, we follow the rules, we're a good person, we go to church, we listen to our Christian music, we have our yard sign in our yard, and we have our little gray sticker on the back of our car. And so by all means, we are really, really good people. But we don't make disciples. And we don't reach out. And we don't do anything to help the people around us find Jesus, to find hope, to find forgiveness. FYI, let me just say this. The Bible talks about making disciples, and we hear this phrase a lot in the church, but making disciples isn't gathering a bunch of Christian people, meeting with them, and growing in a relationship with God together. Like, that's all good, and that's all fine. We do that all the time here at Grace. We are not against that, but making disciples begins with reaching people who are lost. That's what Jesus does here. He gains a disciple. He gains a follower this day, and it starts when the guy is is spiritually dark, spiritually dead, And he does that not because he healed the guy, but because Jesus searched him out, because Jesus went after him, and we need to do the same. Always inviting, making space. That's why we're going to three services. It's exciting. It's going to be work. It's going to be a pain. We're going to need help. But God is using us, and by serving. See, we don't have to have all our questions answered. We don't have to know everything. All we know is that once we were blind, now we see We just need to simply obey. And we need to do whatever we possibly can to reach as many people as we possibly can for Jesus. And I'll be honest with you, I can't think of a better team to do that with than with you guys here, here in Tiffin. And I'm excited about where our church is going. And I'm excited that we're here in town. And it kind of blows me away that I'm like, three and a half years ago, where where were we all? (laughs) We weren't here. God's doing a lot, and he's using us. But there's so much more potential, and there's so much more we can do. We just have to invest, and we have to get involved. And we got to live our life in the way that Jesus lived his life, always going after the people around us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this church. And all that you're doing through this church, it's not us, it's, it's you. It's you working through us. You are the one sending us. God, we ask that you would help us to think on a higher level. Help us to look at the big picture. Help us to understand the things that are actually important at this life. And help us to pursue that. Reaching people, making a difference in people's lives for eternity. It's a big, big, big deal. God, we need your help. And we ask us to use us. We give us the boldness that we need and give us the energy to do that. God, we thank you for everything that you've done for us and we want others to have the hope that we have found. God, we thank you for that. Help us in Jesus name. Amen.